Psalm 83 this morning. Let's read it, and then I'll come back and comment a little bit about Asaph. Do not keep silent, O God, and do not hold your peace. And do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemy makes a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and insulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, Come, and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel will be remembered no more. We're actually going to go through the entire chapter this morning. But um, Asaph, this is his last one, and he's unique in a couple of different ways. Back in Second Chronicles 35, uh, he is referred to as a seer. There are many places that the word seer is used in the Bible, but basically it's saying he's a prophet, and that's what a seer was, was a prophet. So, like David, who was a musician, here's Asaph, a musician, David was also a prophet. I mean, so many of the Psalms, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that was written by David, but it's really a prophecy. And so as we look at Psalm 83 this morning, let me right from the get-go say that I am not dogmatic, and I'm going to give two sides of two thoughts of this psalm this morning. Let me let you make up your own minds. Some of the things definitely are foreshadowing events that are happening in the world right now. And some other very good Bible teachers say this has already been fulfilled. Now, having said that, uh, there's a there's a guy who wrote uh, Fawcett and Brown commentaries about 100 years ago. His name is A.R. Fawcett. He claims that Psalm 83 was future, that it is prophetic, and during his time it had not yet been fulfilled. And you can do your homework on that if you'd like to. But here, Asaph, if this is his last one, and it is prophetic, then we're talking about an event that could be unfolding. I'm going to explain as we go through it that it is a war that involves nations, names of nations. I'm going to take some time and explain why this is not the Ezekiel 38 war. I'm going to take some time and explain why it's not the Battle of Armageddon. And there's a lot of, you you go on the internet, you're going to find a lot of debate and confusion over this particular psalm and people on different sides of the issue. So before I get too much into it, I personally lean towards this unfolding as a separate war that could be on the horizon, and it's not the Ezekiel 38 war, and it's not the Battle of Armageddon. So having said that much, let's look at verse 1, where Paul was reading for us earlier. And his prayer to the Lord is, Oh, don't be silent, O God, and don't hold your peace, and do not be still, for behold, your enemies make a torment. The word God there, if you go to the very last verse, and you're looking at verse 18, I, I'm one of those guys that prefer the New King James. <laughs> I can't use any other Bible but this particular one because I know where everything is supposed to be. But there are others that hold to the King James. And in verse 18, the King James is more accurate than the New King James. And I'm just going to touch on this because what it says in verse 18 in my Bible, in the New King James, it says that men may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, and the Most High over all the earth. Now, if you have the King James, just raise your hand if you have the King James. Many of you do. You'll notice that it says, 
whose name alone is Jehovah. It doesn't say whose name alone is the Lord, capital L. Let's just talk about it just a little bit. This is one of the very few places, matter of fact, only four in the Old Testament where you're going to see the name Jehovah written out. This is one of them. The most common one is the capital Lord, and that's where, we're, where we have the word Yahweh. And they won't even speak that, but they'll just give the, um, they'll leave out the vowels, and they'll spell it Y-H-W-H. Now that occurs over 6,000 times. But Jehovah, here, in its context, is only used four times uh, in the entire Old Testament. There's a whole list of, of uh, names of the Lord that I could go through, but that's a whole Bible study within itself. I'll just mention that, Lord, you will find in some places a little L, not a capital, but a small one. And whenever that's used, it can be in reference to the Lord, but can also be a reference to a ruler, a magistrate, or a human. That's why small l. The same with a small g. So in these first four verses, let's look on to uh, verse 3 now. They're talking, his prayer is, Lord, there's this group of nations that we'll get into that have taken crafty counsel against your people. In other words, it's, it's, um, it's laid out, it's thought out. There's a plan in place to take out the Jewish people. They've consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel will be no more. Um, What I've seen happen in the last six months, we have watched the exponential rise in anti-Semitism. It's taken on a whole new level. There was a gal named Naomi from Paris. She was one of the Jews that survived the killings of the four Jews that uh, just had their funeral this last week back in Jerusalem. And Benjamin Netanyahu was there, spoke. The anti-Semitism in Paris right now, and in France in particular, is so bad, uh, he's actually asking them just to come home. Just come home. And the signs that preceded Nazi Germany and the Holocaust, those same signs are once again rearing their ugly head. But this is nothing new. From Genesis to Revelation, beginning with the seed of the woman, the wars that began even right there in the garden was against the seed of the woman, Jesus in particular, but the Jewish people primarily. And here they are, the only democratic nation in the Middle East, and they're literally surrounded by their enemies. Now, this is where it gets interesting, because his prayer is, Lord, do something about it. Will you allow this to happen? Their plan is well thought out, and their goal is the elimination of the nation of Israel. Well, you don't need me to tell you that every, anybody, everybody from Arafat to, to the Iranian clerics to um, Hamas fails to acknowledge the existence of uh, Israel. If you have an Islamic school book, you will not even see the map of Israel in that book. It's simply not there. 
and their goal is to destroy the nation of Israel. Now, again, we find this happening uh, in the book of Esther with Haman. He set a day that all the Jews would be killed on a particular day. That's where the Feast of Purim comes from. Uh, We could take it to our modern times where we have Hitler, uh, what he called the final solution, a laid out plan to eliminate the Jewish people. And that's what we see starting to happen again. Of course we know in Revelation 12 that when the devil is cast out of heaven, it says he went to make war with the woman and uh, those that are with her who have accepted Christ. Again, that is Satan's focus. Anti-Semitism is as satanic as it can possibly get. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? And here's the thing, gang. We're seeing it like we've never, ever seen it before, not since World War II. There's always been this sympathy that existed. That's how they got their um, nation uh, that short period of time after the war where um, the UN did grant the Jewish people a homeland and fulfilled Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11, where it says, I will gather you again a second time. Well, the first time was after the Babylonian captivity. God told Daniel, they'll be there 70 years. And Jeremiah, you'll be there 70 years. Then you're coming home. Well, that was the first time. But Isaiah 11, 11 says, I'm going to bring you back a second time. And uh, that's what has happened. And um, the Zionist movement began in the early 1900s. But again, on May 14, 1948, Israel, and again, one day, which was a prophecy, became a nation in one day. Now, they're gathered back, and when they declared themselves a nation, they were immediately attacked. One of the reasons I give credence to this psalm in the direction that I'm going in is that it's been an established pattern ever since Israel has come back. And when they um, declared themselves a nation, they were immediately attacked, and uh, against all odds, won. In uh, 67, during the Six-Day War, they were outnumbered again, and they were not defeated. Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, in 1973, they were attacked again. And uh, there have been the skirmishes and the infadas that have risen up. But just recently, again, it seems like there's this new wave of terrorism that uh, how do you stop it? I mean, how do you stop what happened last week with, um, I hope I'm saying it right, Boko Haram, this group taking responsibility in uh, Nigeria? I don't know, it's not even being reported on some stations. 2,000 people getting killed, and it's just getting out there right now. Or strapping a, a belt on a 10-year-old girl that was kidnapped and having her go in and do this, do this damage. Or again, the open attacks that are taking place in Paris as we speak. So I'm aware that you're aware that these things are happening. Here's a real concern that I have. Boy, we live in a pressure cooker world, don't we? Somebody want to give me an amen on that? I mean, we're all so busy. There's so many things going on. And yet, I think, um, you know, when Satan fell, one of the accusations the Lord brought against him was his busyness and his trade. Interesting words, his busyness and his trade. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, the devil isn't about hurry, he is hurry. 
And we're told to be anxious about nothing and keep our priorities straight. Well, we're all excited about the big game this afternoon. I'm going to be watching it just like you. But what helps me keep it in perspective is a good, solid Bible study on what's really going on in the world and try to keep my priorities straight. And so I I wrestle with it too because I'm too busy just like you are. And I know that I need to be seeking first God's kingdom above everything else. I know that. But when it comes right down to it, I need to be here, I need to get exhorted, and I need to be fed, and I need to be reminded. When Paul wrote uh, in one of his epistles, he says, I'm writing this to stir you up, to remind you. In other words, he's saying, I'm not going to tell you something you don't already know. It's just that we need to be exhorted. The Bible says, exhort one another daily while it's called today. So as I look at the big picture, what do we see? Well, I see a servant of the Lord who served Jesus for 30 years straight, one of the hardest places in the world. She's run her course and she's home. And she had her priorities straight. And um, um, on the other hand, I just see a, a world that's um, on the verge. And I think our country in particular is in a lot of trouble. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. Let's, let, let me put uh, a map up at this time, and I'm going to read verses 5 through 8. Asaph's prayer is, Lord, go get them and protect us. And then he says, for they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you. And then he names names. He says, the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagarites, Gebel, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, and the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria has also joined them and, and have helped the children of Lot, Selah. Now, when you have a Selah, this is a time to pause and think about what we just read. Because evidently, the group of people that are consulting and their plan and their goal is to cut them off is now being named for us here. The names and location, Edom, that area is uh, in Jordan by Petra. Edomites, the Ishmaelites, uh, the south, Moab, the sons of Lot, Ammon, Tyre, of course, would be north and west of um, Jerusalem, Philistia. uh, The land of the Philistines is that place that we still call the Gaza Strip today. And then we have um, the big one here that really should capture our attention. And again, the King James does a little bit better job here and mentioning Assyria and that area is the headquarters and it would encompass what would be part of Iraq today but also Syria and this is to me where it really captures my attention when we go to Ezekiel the main players are Russia and Iran that are leading this here these are the nations that are surrounding Israel But the big one here that we should really have our attention drawn to is uh, Assyria, they have helped. They're the ones that are supplying, so to speak. And uh, what we have in view here would be Syria, Iraq, but in particular, Damascus. When having said that, I want to go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 17. Now this one I can be a little bit more um, dogmatic about, if you want to use that word. 
about a prophecy that has not yet been fulfilled. We have mentioned this often. Isaiah here goes through a list of prophecies against different nations. And in chapter 17, this is the prophecy against Damascus and Syria. And it says in verse 1, Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city, and it will be a ruinous heap. Um, There's an argument. They argue between Jericho. Jericho is the lowest place in the world, but they also claim to be um, uh, the oldest. Well, bragging rights uh, are are that Damascus is the oldest place in the world. So you got this tug of war going on. It's sort of like um, uh, Seymour being the place of the hamburger. Did I get that right? Is it Seymour? Yeah. The home, how do they know? There's this place out in Texas that said, no, we're the place of the hamburger. Not Seymour. And Seymour says, oh, no. We see more, and we see that our hamburgers were the first ones here. Well, how are you going to prove something like that? And how are you going to prove that Damascus is before Jericho or Jericho is before Damascus? You can't do it. But I know this. It has continually been inhabited since its existence. And now we have a prophecy that says something's going to happen that is going to cease it from being a city, a ruinous heap, not to be inhabited again. Now, as I look at what's taking place in the world, we see Assad is one of the few dictators left standing. Mubarak is gone. Um, Saddam Hussein is gone from Iraq. Gaddafi from Libya. These guys were, were taken out, and who came in? The Muslim Brotherhood. And all of a sudden, what's happening in the Muslim war world is we have this tug of war going on, and Al-Qaeda wants to take responsibility now for what happened, I guess, in uh, New York, and one's trying to outdo the other. But they're all, if they have one thing in common, is that they want Israel destroyed. Our map in here is one of many that you can Google, and it shows a rough layout, but basically what we have is Israel surrounded. The only one who's neutral in this, which will tie into Ezekiel 38, is Saudi Arabia. Having said that, as I look at Psalm 83, Jesus said twice in the New Testament, once in Matthew 24, verse 6, and once in Mark 13, verse 7. The context is, Lord, what's it going to be like in the last days before you come? And he says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. If Psalm 83 is a future war, it is simply one of them that has been taking place in the Middle East. How long have we been in Iraq? How long have we been in some of these countries where our brave men in in arms are over there trying to bring some order to it? So we see wars and rumors of wars. I mean, these 2,000 that were, were killed uh, just this last week in Nigeria. I would, at the very least, put Psalm 83 as a war that's going to happen or a rumor of a war that's going to take place. Now, there are some out there, 
that um, are seeing warning signs that could uh, perpetuate this rather quickly. What I'm about to read to you is also controversial. I hemmed and hawed about sharing it with you this morning. So what I came down with is I'm going to present both sides of what I'm about to say. Because when I first heard it, uh, Judy gave it to me off the internet. It comes from Natural News. She's a fan of that website. And uh, they have a lot of good resources, especially health-wise. This was their main article this week. The title is, Russia Throws Down the Gauntlet. Energy Supply to Europe Cut Off. Petrodollar Abandoned as Currency as War Escalates. And I'll read. This is from the Natural News. There are some big moves taking place on the global stage that you need to know about, as it could all lead to World War III. Yesterday, Russia cut off its natural gas supply to Europe, plunging the continent into an energy crisis within hours as a dispute with Ukraine is escalating, reports the Daily Mail. This morning, gas companies in Ukraine said that Russia had completely cut off their supply. Six countries reported a complete shutoff of Russian gas shipped via Ukraine today and a sharp escalation of a struggle over energy that threatens Europe as winter sets in. Former U.S. Treasury Secretary uh, Paul Craig Roberts also had warned in advance of a black swan event, such as Russia cutting off energy supplies to the European nations as a prelude to war. Now, this is the first one. I just want to comment. Gas prices are pretty cheap right now. You notice that? Buck 90 a gallon in a lot of places. And you have to wonder why this is happening. And the answer is, is that we're waging our own war uh, against Russia, but it's an economic one, not necessarily a military one. And that's one of the reasons that the prices are so low. Now, this is quite a statement. And I said, if half of this is true, it's, um, it's just over the top. So um, let me read a little bit more before I give the second side of the story. The second part of this is Russia pulls out of the petrodollar. In addition to cutting off the natural gas supply to Europe, Russia has also just pulled itself out of the petrodollar. The deal we made with Saudi Arabia uh, and to protect them from their neighbors years ago that we established that all oil sales had to be made with American dollars. That's why we call it petrodollars. Well, There are countries around the world that I'll be mentioning in just a little bit that have had enough of that, and they're going to be using their own currencies. And that's what Russia is talking about doing here. This story quotes Bloomberg.com stating that Russia may unseal its $88 reserve fund and convert some of its foreign currency into the ruble. This is further explained by Max Slavo, at uh, shtfplane.com, who explains what we are seeing are the strategic moves that will eventually uh, catalyze the next great war. And make no mistake about it, this is exactly what's in store for the world when we see these uh, escalations continue. 
an escalation to war. Ron Paul says something big is approaching fast. As Ron Paul recently wrote in a widely cited column, a major geopolitical or economic event greater than the crisis of 2008 is fast approaching. The precipitating event will be a surprise to the majority of politicians and economists. There are many next shoes to drop possibilities and one could happen at any time or at any place. All right, so here's the two big things that are being stated. Did Russia cut off the natural gas supply to Europe? Well, yes and no. The other side of the coin is, I've had Mary do some research, and some of these websites tend to be sensationalist, and they're more prophetic they are than actually happening. So they're writing as if it's already happened. And that's sort of the case what's happening here. As I've tried to run it down, I'm saying if this is really true, why aren't we having special news flash across the top of our headlines? Because this would be major. Somebody want to give me an amen or not? I'm I'm getting somewhere. I'm going to get in Ezekiel 38 shortly here. But I want to talk about why Russia, as we're told, is going to have a hook put in. They're going to be drawn in. In other words, they're going to be drawn into something they really don't want to do, but they're going to do it anyway for, um, well, I'm getting ahead of myself here. So to put this and keep it in balance and perspective, I had Mary do some research, and this is what she came up with. Russia just pulled itself out of the petrodollar. Several nations have been working towards this for about at least two years, including Iran, Russia, and China, part of BRICS, B-R-I-C-S, nations, that wants its own currency and a global currency. Now, this should be signs for us. Why? Because the Bible tells us that there's going to be a one-world monetary system. Someone going to give me an amen on that? I mean, we know what's going to happen, but we don't see the pieces of the puzzle on how it's happening. And this is where this becomes interesting. If you read this article closely, it says that Russia may, capital letters, unseal its $88 billion reserve funds, and convert some of its foreign currency holdings into ruples. Bloomberg.com carried this story. And while Bloomberg.com tends to be reliable, it is pretty certain that the petrodollar will continue to die a slow death around the world. And while the global economy is a mess, this is important. There is no proof in this article that fits the headline. But it will happen anyway. I just wish they would stick to the story and explain it accurately, regardless. All right, that's the first one with the petrodollars. The second part, part two, Europe plunges into energy crisis as Russia cuts off gas supplies via the Ukraine. Once again, the headline is not accurate. Note that the real basis of the story is prophetic, which they missed completely. Russia wants to run its gas pipeline through Turkey, not Ukraine and wants Europe to get with the program and build an infrastructure to allow them to get gas through Turkey and not through Ukraine. Although we don't precisely know what this means in the, uh, the biggest picture as what brought things to this point, we do get that Turkey-Russia alliance and its prophetic sig- significance. Now let me just stop here. For, for 30 years, I said Ezekiel 38 cannot happen because Russia is not lined up with the Confederacy. Well, a couple years ago, they lined up with 
uh, the Russian bloc had made a treaty. And recently have actually called for war against Israel. That piece of the puzzle all of a sudden is there. And um, we always said as long as Turkey's neutral or indifferent, Ezekiel 38 can't happen. Well, that picture has changed because that is something now that can happen. One more, one more paragraph. Additionally, we find that in the media, it is reporting that Russia cut gas exports to Europe by 60% today, which isn't much since Europe gets only 25% of its gas from Russia. So the numbers are murky here. It sounds worse than it is. It's once again sloppy reporting. When they talk about a world war over this, which could happen uh, with the right spark, they, are, they usually are referring to a currency war, not a bullet and blood war. And there's a huge difference between a currency war and simply a uh, devaluation war. The, the currency war will ultimately lead to a, a global currency, which we know, of course, and at some point, but we're not quite there yet. Currency wars have been going on for a long time. Stay tuned, though we can only be close to a perfect storm of seals unsealing. All right, having said that, let's turn to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38. And I wanted to lay just a little foundation of why Russia has pictures of Putin riding around on his horse with no shirt on, flexing his pexes, you know, macho man, <laughs> and uh, wants the world to know that, uh, don't mess with me. He's openly said, have you guys forgot we have nuclear weapons? You know, that's never been stated openly and publicly that a world leader say, hey, look, we got nuclear weapons. Uh, you'll never hear that coming out of Israel. They, they, uh, do you have nuclear weapons? I don't know. Well, everybody knows they do, but they'll never say it. But uh, here's, who's, here's Putin, on the other hand, just flaunting it. And so as you look at Ezekiel 38... I just want to look at the first nine verses here. And my point for going here is that I see the signs with Putin doing things he's never done before. And let's face it, he is a czar in, in, in Russia. The difference between Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38 is a list of nations. And this is why Psalm 83 cannot be Ezekiel 38. Verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog, against the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, I will put hooks into your jaws, and I will lead you out with all your army, your horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. And now the list, and the first one on the list is Persia. And um, Iran, 80 years ago, was called Persia, and now it's called Iran. And they're the first one listed here. They have signed a compact with Russia. And of course, we keep dragging our feet month after month with their nuclear program. And when, uh, when they reach their next deadline, don't be a bit surprised that it just gets dragged on even farther. So they're a game player. Ethiopia and Libya, Putin Kush in the King James. 
uh, not mentioned in Ezekiel uh, Psalm 83, uh, neither Persia. All of them with their shields and helmets, Gomar and its troops in the house of Torgarma, from the far north and all its troops, many people with thee. This is where Turkey comes into the picture, and now they're in line. But notice it says, all of them from the far north. Prepare yourself, be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. Now, when will this take place? After many days you will be visited. In the latter years you will come into the land of those who were brought back from the sword for many people out of the mountains of Israel. This is the second time that we're looking at here. Which has long been desolate. Israel was nothing but swamps and um, uh, bare wilderness until Israel made it look again like the Garden of Eden, which they brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, and all your troops and your peoples with you. The reason for their coming is to take a spoil and to take a plunder. Let's just say for a moment that the uh, oil is... The, the, the modern gold equivalent. What just happened off the coast of Haifa is uh, one of the largest natural gas discoveries ever. And uh, they also discovered oil inland. This could be one of the reasons that has caused them to come in. But again, the real reason for all this, again, is the satanic attack that as part of anti-Semitism, simply to destroy Israel. So my point in going to Ezekiel 38 is to explain that it's not Psalm 83. Are you still with me? All right. The other thing that you're going to hear a little bit about, and that is that it's uh, part of the battle of Armageddon. And uh, so let's go to Zechariah chapter 14. Paul mentioned that this morning. And I want to show you and just explain that Psalm 83 cannot be the battle of Armageddon, which is also different from Ezekiel chapter 38. I believe that's a different war. In chapter 14, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. What we read in this one verse here is elaborated on in the book of Revelation, where we have demonic spirits released by the Euphrates River who are told to go and gather the kings of the east, China, and that part of Asia. So we have something completely different here. All the nations of the earth, Psalm 83 There's a list of 10. Um, Ezekiel 38, that list is primarily all to the north, and the main players are Iran and Russia. And it's interesting to me that both of them are continually in the news, and it's worth talking about and watching. One more place, Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19 is the second coming of Jesus Christ. The scenario of 
this could be that Psalm 83 could happen at any time. Um, The stage is set for Ezekiel 38 to happen at any time. However, the Battle of Armageddon uh, cannot take place, according to Revelation 4 and 6, and Paul talked about it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's called the Great Day of the Lord, or the time of Jacob's trouble, or Daniel's 70th week. And it can't happen until after the church is removed and God's clock once again begins to tick. Revelation chapter 9. He owes Israel seven more years. And so from chapter 6 to 19 happens to be a seven-year period of time. This fits like a glove gig. And the reason this can't be uh, Psalm 83 and why it has to, the Battle of Armageddon, is again we have all these nations that are gathering together. Let's pick it up at verse 17 where it just says, as they gather themselves to to fight against the Lord. Um, Verse 17 says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. Then he says, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against him who sat on the horse and with his army, the beast was captured, the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, who deceived those who received the mark. And these two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceed from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and the birds were filled with the air. What's your point? It can't be Psalm 83. All the nations of the world are there. The Antichrist is there. The false prophet is there. And the Lord just takes care of business with the sword that comes out of his mouth. Now, having said all of that, let's go back and finish Psalm 83. And hopefully... As we read the rest of it here, this is Asaph's prayer. He says, Lord, there are nations that want to take your people and wipe them out. That's nothing new. But now his prayer is, Lord, will you please deal with them? And so we pick it up in verse 9. Deal with them as, as you did with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin at the, the brook Kishan, who perished at Endor, who became as refuge on the earth. Now, these were guys that were taken out by the Lord, um, and they were just killed. Sisera had a, a tent stake put through his head by a gal, and um, they were defeated. Make their nobles like Oreb or like Zeb. Uh, yes, all the princes like Zeba and Zaluma who said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession. Let's take, let's take over Israel. And Asaph is saying, Lord, do it like you did with those other guys. Just take them out. Oh my God, make them like whirling dust, like the chaff before the wind. As the fire burns the wood and as the flames set the mountains on fire, so pursue them with your tempest and frighten them with your storm. 
and fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. See, this psalm here, it can't be Armageddon because it's over and you're entering the millennium. Lord, break them down so that they'll actually seek you. Wouldn't it be great? I know this is kind of weird, but let's take some of these leaders of ISIS and actually have the attitude of mind, Lord, break them. Lord, you love all people. And I think of Elijah Abraham, brought up Muslim, brought up in Iraq, and that was his lifestyle. And now he's one of the most passionate guys I know for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why not take a guy, um, the, 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 what they call this kid, his um, father was the head of Hamas, and he's converted now and is touring the country just preaching the gospel. So what I see Asaph doing here is, Lord, deal with them, but Lord, deal with them that they may seek your name, O Lord. And um, I have to admit, I'm guilty. My attitude is, I I see some of these guys and their arrogance and taking, you know, these girls. You know, I want to take them out. And my heart should be, I should be praying, Lord, save them so that their heart is changed. Because if we take them out, where are they going to spend their eternity? You know? You know, I... It's hard for me to say I don't want to see Hitler in hell. But, you know, by the grace of God, there go I. Anybody else want to say the same thing? By the grace of God, where would we be? We're all sinners. How many sins does it take to keep you from going to heaven? Go ahead, you can do it. That many. So whether the scale is that heavy for a Hitler or you're the best person who ever lived, if you're not born again and you haven't been washed in the blood of the Lamb... You know, we need to do a heart check. <laughs> Lord, get my heart in a place like Asaph, or how he's praying. He's praying for his enemies, which is, by the way, what Jesus told us to do, is to pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. Father, from the cross, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Paul was told, John was told that uh, to submit to his authorities. Well, that would have been Nero at the time, those in authority in Rome. So let that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish that they may know that you, and this is verse 18. By the way, 54 times in the book of Ezekiel, the reoccurring phrase is, and then they will know that I am the Lord. And so he closes it in verse 18 that men may know that you, whose name alone is Jehovah, are the most high God over all the earth. God's going to deal with these nations. Make no mistake about it, nobody gets away with anything. And um, some of these people that have taken their lives with jihad by blowing themselves up and they think they're going to heaven and having... Uh, 70 virgins waiting on them hand and foot, they're in for a big surprise. Only one life. And then what? Then the judgment. You you see, our hope is while they're still alive. But God is going to deal with them. Genesis 12.3 is still in effect. And uh, that is, I will bless those who bless you, Abraham. 
but I will also curse those who curse you. That's in effect to tell a person how he dies. When you read Matthew 25 carefully, and um, he said, if you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me, enter into the joy of the Lord. He's talking about how you treat the Jewish people. And, um, and the rest of it is, but when I was hungry, you didn't feed me or visit me, and so on and so forth. If you didn't do that to the least of these, my brethren, the my brethren part there is the Jewish people. It ties in with Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you. And so, Psalm 83, let's close it up this morning. These 10 nations, it's not Ezekiel 38. It's not the Battle of Armageddon. They have one thing in common. That is, they want to take out Israel. Simple question. Do you see that happening in the Middle East today? You'll have to make that decision up for yourself. But Revelation 6, verse 7 says that um, after the rapture, it says the next thing that's going to happen, the Lord's going to take out his church, and then it says for that great day of his wrath has finally come. Make no mistake about it, the Lord is willing that none should perish. But just like it was in the days of Noah, what was it like? Well, for 120 years, Noah preached the gospel. It wasn't much of an evangelist. You know how many people got saved? Zilch. Only his family went to church with him. <laughs> and he was the only one, but he was faithful in his generation. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah. That's what it's going to be like when it comes again. And here's where I see the comparison. That he's so loving and so patient and so willing that nobody would ever go to hell. I really think he's going to wait till the very last minute for people to have a chance to repent. So what's our job in the meantime? Loving on the unlovable. People that are kicking the hardest. People that hate Israel to pray for them. Because if they don't, they're going to enter into the great tribulation period. And it says when the wrath of the Lamb has come, who will be able to stand? Now, if you're not saved this morning and giving your life to Christ, that should scare the hell out of you. And what's going to be interesting about the message this morning, that word hell that I just said is going to be the only thing you remembered all morning. <laughs> Well, it's true, and it's in the Bible. That's all I can say. So with that being said, as we make our way through the Psalms, which are Psalms of worship to the Lord, calling out upon the Lord, but Psalm 22, very, very prophetic. That's all about Jesus on the cross. Psalm 83 hangs in the balance with me. I will not be dogmatic about it, but... Do I see these nations surrounding Israel and against Israel today? Yeah, I sure do. Do I see exponentially anti-Semitism growing? Yeah, I see that too. Do I see Russia flexing its muscles? Yeah, I see that too. I see a lot of things coming together. So we're told when we see these things begin to happen, what do we do? Look up. How come? Oh, our redemption draws nigh, and we get to go home. Wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is also. Somebody give me amen on that? Let's stand this morning as the worship team comes out. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we, we see the lateness of the hour. We thank you for the Psalms and just how detailed 
and how finely knit together your word is. We stand in awe as you are the only God, Lord God Jehovah, who can speak of events before they happen. And Lord, as you told us, you have told us these things ahead of time so that when they happen, that we would believe that you are who you claim to be. The Son of God who came to die for our sins so that we won't have to stand before you guilty. Lord, we thank you for that this morning, and we thank you for the exhortation from your word. In Jesus' name, amen.